Good afternoon and welcome to the Monday edition of the Manitoba Farm Journal. I'm your host, Corey Canute. Coming up this afternoon, we'll hear from the Executive Director with 4-H Manitoba. Also, we'll talk about soil testing and 4-R nutrient management with the Canola Council of Canada. Up first in today's country comment, we'll be joined by the province's weed specialist, Kim Brown-Livingston. The latest farm news and market numbers, all coming up over the next 60 minutes. The time now is 12 o'clock. Here's a look at our local news. Good afternoon, you're listening to the Manitoba Farm Journal. An unwanted pigweed species known as Palmer amaranth has been discovered in the Arm of Dufferin. The province's weed specialist, Kim Brown Livingston, joined us last week with the details. We continue that conversation today. I asked Kim how it got here to Manitoba. We're not um, sure, and we may never know, but it can. there's so many ways that it can show up. Again, it's a very, very small seed. If you're familiar with pigweed at all, there's tiny little black shiny seeds, um, really, really small and so any kind of a contaminant in any grain that comes up from the United States, if it was some something brought up a seed, it could be in any speck of dirt that's on any piece of equipment if it get, gets moved around. Um, and again, wildlife, and um, I know they have found, again, that some of this is moving in the digestive tract of waterfowl. So as they come north and, you know, they feed along the way, and then they when they deposit their droppings, there can be pigweed seeds in there that survive. So it, it could be a number of ways. We won't know for sure, um, but it was just two plants, one male and one female. Uh, the Palmer amaranth as well as the water hemp are a little bit different pigweeds in that they have ma- different or separate male and female plants. That actually lets them contribute. It contributes to them being resistant uh, that much more quickly. Um, but um, So there was one male, one female plant. They were dug out and destroyed, so there won't be anything regrowing from the roots. Um, and so they were destroyed, and the seed wasn't quite set yet. So we thought that it had, they had maybe come a little bit later in the year because there was no seed in them yet that was you know, going to hit the ground and grow for next year. So hopefully those two plants are gone and burned, and, um, you know, but they will be watching in the area for if there is to, you know, more seed in the ground that could come up next year. You mentioned uh, North Dakota. Has this been found in, in other provinces? or Not in other provinces that I know of. Um, Palmer is something that everybody is really, really watching for. Um, but uh, no, as far as I know, we're the first province that has it in Canada, but it is right across the border in some counties that are um, you know, right next, you know, very, very close to us. And, and again, there, it's not hard. It's just, you know, we knew we were going to get some of these plants eventually, and we knew we had to watch for them, and we knew we just have to be careful when we get them. When they do come, we destroy them as soon as we can. As soon as we find them, we destroy them, and we just don't want them to go to seed, and we don't want that seed getting spread around so that it's more of a problem, you know, in future years. And if, uh, you know, farmers are out scouting, what uh, should they be looking for, and, and what do they do, I guess, if they suspect they... Uh, have found something. Yeah, well, it, it's getting late in the year, but you know most of our crops are harvested by now—the beans and and the soybeans—and we're down to just a you know a few fields here and there. So we're kind of probably don't have a lot of weeds left to look at on our fields. But if you're looking at field edges and there's still green weeds, or if you're looking in kind of some waste areas, if you ever see some funny-looking pigweeds, we kind of I think we all know what redroot pigweed looks like, and they do look similar, but they're different enough looking, and you'll know. But if you're if you're at all wondering what this weed is, if it's a pigweed. Uh, farmers that are members of the Manitoba Canola Growers Association get free samples done, um, analyzed at the PSI lab or the, the Pest Surveillance Initiative Lab in, in Winnipeg, and that's a DNA test. So that will be a positive confirmation for which species of pigweed it is because there's maybe six or seven different pigweeds in Manitoba, and really we're, we're only concerned 
about three that are the tier one noxious weeds because they can be very invasive and they can develop herbicide resistance quickly. The other pigweeds are, are weeds and they're, you know, we're concerned about them, but not to the same extent. So it's really good to know which pigweed you have because it might be one of, you know, the ones that we're not as concerned about. And then, uh, so that's, you know, if anybody still has green weeds, green pigweeds, uh, you don't need a lot of plant material. They just need a few grams of sample, but it needs to be green. So, you know, it needs to still be actively growing for them to extract the DNA. So if, you know, farmers are still welcome to send in those samples at any time, as long as, you know, the sample is still green and growing, you can send in some leaves. Um, and then you would get, you know, we've been getting the, the testing back very quickly, and then it tells us what we're dealing with. That was the province's weed specialist, Kim Brown-Livingston, talking to us here today about the discovery of Palmer amaranth in the RM of Dufferin. A look at what's happening in the markets this afternoon is coming up. Good afternoon, I'm Corey Canute, a food professor at Dalhousie University, believes Stats Canada may be underestimating the rising cost of food. Here's Dr. Sylvain Charlebois. We are now working with a company which mines data on the web uh, looks at flyers all across the country on a daily basis and we do uh, see major differences between what StatsCan is is suggesting uh, when it comes to higher food prices versus what BetterCart is actually suggesting uh, in at retail so it's really concerning uh, some staples like uh, pasta for example butter other staples uh, we're seeing some major differences And the governments of Canada and Manitoba are providing $84,000 for agriculture in the classroom Manitoba to develop a Manitoba seed kit. Here's Operations and Development Manager Catherine Cherowick. We're so excited. We want to put 700 seed kits in grade 3 to 6 classrooms next year. And so the seed kit will contain the seeds of 15 Manitoba fiber, forage, food, and feed crops that are provincially uh, important. Students will really have the opportunity to connect to agriculture by playing and exploring um, through activities that we're going to include in that kit. They're going to know how to recognize crops in Manitoba, how the crops are used, where they're processed, and why the crops are important to Manitoba and the rest of the world. Funding for the initiative is provided under the Canadian Agricultural Partnership. That was a look at today's farm news. I'm Corey Canute. Good afternoon and welcome to the Prairie Eggwire for Monday, October 4th. I'm Corey Canute. Coming up today, we'll talk about soil testing and 4R nutrient management with the Canola Council of Canada. Soil nutrient analysis is an important step in 4R nutrient management. Warren Ward is an agronomy specialist with the Canola Council of Canada. Soil testing is an important practice uh, any year in my mind, but on a year like this where we've come off of some pretty significant production challenges and Yields weren't uh, definitely what most people would have hoped for or expected. Now that leaves us with the challenge of what's left in the soil for, uh, for nutrient levels, and the best way of determining that is through soil sampling. If we think about soil sampling, it's really one of the, one of the building blocks or one of the starting points I like to think of, of for our nutrient management. And again, just to, you know, we throw that word for our out there quite a bit, but this is a reminder, so that's using the right source of fertilizer at the right rate at the right time, and in the right place. So really, when we're looking at soil testing, we're focusing in on the right rate because we want to know how much is in that soil so that we can combine that with our yield goals, and then we know what the difference is that we'll need to make up for with uh, with fertilizer applications. 
Any tips for uh, for those who are doing the soil tests? Yeah, you know, there's, there's uh, different ways or different practices that you can use for soil testing. So depending what you want to get out of it, there's, you know, the... You know the the traditional composite field sample, where you where you take uh, kind of the average production of the field or the average areas. So we're not uh, you know not, not in those low spots, not in the not in the hilltops, but just in the average area. And we do a composite sample out of those areas and uh, and get kind of a, an average estimate over that field. The other, you know, if we wanted to look at a little bit more in depth soil testing, that would be where we break it into zones or production zones within the field. And looking at you know different areas that are going to have a higher yield uh, potential versus lower yield potential, and I typically would be working with with an agronomist who would be um, helping with those variable rate decisions if, if you're doing that. But again, so you're you're doing a few more samples, but each zone would be specific, or you could think of each zone almost as a, as an individual field. Then there's other other methods as well, such as benchmark, where you're just kind of trying to track things based on a on a relative area, um, but you know, with, with soil sampling itself, I, I would encourage most farmers to, to work with an agronomist on that. And uh, the reason is they, they're set up to do it and, and they know what they're doing and, and they are going to do a good job of it. But, uh, you know, I would uh, look at a couple other things. So um, the closer we can go to freeze up, the better, because as the soil cools down, the biological activity in the soil slows down as well, and we start seeing those nutrient levels start to become more stable. So the, the later we go or the closer to freeze up, the more accurate assessment we'll have of what those nutrient levels will be in the spring at seeding. And second of all, you know, I would I would look at uh, soil testing depth as well. There's, um, you know, in the past, there's been the 0 to 12 inch, uh, you know, just be one sample there, but a little bit more detail would be the 2 feet 2 depth and go a little bit first. So if we split that into 0 to 6 and then a 6 to 24 inches, and what I personally like uh, and as kind of the best option would be to break it into three samples, actually. So we'd have a 0 to 6 profile, a 6 to 12 inch profile, and a 12 inch to 24 inch profile. And, and so you submit uh, basically three samples for that field or zone, but it gives you uh, a much better picture of what's happening in there with, with regards to certain nutrients. And uh, finally, Warren, um, talk a little bit about uh, the canola industry's goal as it relates to to for our practices. Yeah, so at the canola uh, within the canola industry, we have a goal of um, of having ninety percent of canola acres utilizing for our practices, and so we've got a, a little ways to go with that. And, and I think one of the one of the steps that's going to help us get there is just to increase our our soil testing, which is going to help us uh, make sure we're hitting the right rate. You know. Without soil testing, we're not, um, you know, we're just guessing with how much is in the soil, how much we need to add to hit that yield target that we have. So, so it is really is an important step of achieving those 90% of, of uh, acres having 4-R practices on them. And the other thing I would just like to point out, too, with 4-R practices is that it, um, it's kind of a, it's a very flexible plan that, that a producer can have, which really, you know, you can have a plan A, but after a year like this, and there may be some hesitation going into next year in terms of what are the conditions going to be, you have some options within within that plan to, to manage the challenges that, that are thrown at you. So it, it really is kind of a resilient plan to, to help you be as productive and efficient with your, with your input and expenditures on, on farm. That was Warren Ward with the Canola Council of Canada. 
talking to us today about fall fertilizer and soil testing. That's it for the Prairie Eggwire for today. If you have any questions or opinions to share, send them to us by email, thefarmdesk at goldenwest.ca. I'm Corey Canute. Thanks for listening and have a great afternoon. The Prairie Eggwire will return tomorrow on the Golden West Farm Network. Time now for a look at the farm calendar. Manitoba Forage and Grassland Association is holding Introduction to Holistic Management, Monday starting today and running until November 8th. The online sessions will take place from 6 to 7 p.m. Registration is required. The Fall 2021 Regen Egg Raising Tour is happening October 7th from 1.30 to 3.30 at Nurbaz Brothers Angus at Shellmouth, Manitoba. Topics of discussion include balancing forage to cow resource ratio, temporary fencing systems, and more. Registration is required. Visit mfga.net to register. Egg in Motion presents a post-harvest information session October 20th. Topics include storing grain options, winter equipment decisions, and more. Visit the Egg in Motion website to register. And Keystone Agricultural Producers Fall Advisory Council meeting takes place via Zoom October 20th starting at 9 a.m. Go to the CAP website to register. The deadline to submit resolutions is October 12th. Continuing with the Manitoba Farm Journal here on this Monday afternoon, 4-H Manitoba has announced the recipients of the 2021 Leaders of Tomorrow Scholarships. The recipients include Marika Dewar-Nurowski of Newdale, Cameron Giannotti of Nipua, Sarah Johnson of Dugald, and Raina Topham of Minnedosa. Don Krinka is the Executive Director with 4-H Manitoba. So the scholarships were basically to do with... Um leadership roles in agriculture, environmental sustainability, or the community. So um, quite a broad, a broad range there. Talk about how, uh, I guess, the funding and how that works. So um, last year, the Manitoba government set up an um, endowment fund with a million dollars um, through the Brandon Area Community Foundation. So that generated $42,500 for scholarships for us in the 2021 year. So this is the first year we've had this scholarship. Um, and so we were very excited to get going with it. The first uh, four recipients were announced. Talk about that selection process and, and um, how that comes together. So we had 43 applications. Um, and so we had an initial um, process of going through and assessing each of the scholarships. They were allocated marks on a number of um, different areas. Um, And then from that and the the numbers that that generated, we selected 10 people to go forward to an interview process. So that they all had an individual 45-minute interview with our selection um, interview committee, um, which generated another set of numbers, and they were all collated together and the the top four were identified and those were the people who won the scholarship. As I understand, each each scholarship is um, in recognition of a, of a previous uh, member. Is that right? Uh, a leader. I'm sure some of them were members too. We didn't actually go back that far. But yes, we have four leaders that we identified with an, um, 40, 48 years of service was the, the highest and then down to the um, through the sort of years. So we selected the, the longest-serving four. This is something that'll uh, happen again next year? Yes, it will. Um, the process will be a little earlier next year. Um, now that we are set up and running, we'll be advertising the scholarships at the beginning of the year, um, and then the process will continue as it has this year. What were the qualifications that the applicants needed to have? Um, they needed to have been in um, 4-H at least four year, five years throughout the 
their life. So it was members members 18 to 30, um, so current and former members. So, yes, so um, five years in 4-H. And just really what they'd, how many projects they'd taken, what they'd achieved, and um, just a general application process. Anything else to add here, Don? We were just um, really thrilled to have as many applicants. We had some wonderful applications, um, but we can't, you know, we had four scholarships, so it, it was a very difficult process right. to decide, and it's disappointing for those who didn't succeed. But, you know, next year we would really encourage them to apply again and everyone just to... Continue trying. Competition is really hard. That was Don Krinka, Executive Director with 4-H Manitoba, talking to us here today about the 2021 Leaders of Tomorrow Scholarships. Another look at what's happening in the markets heading into the close is coming up in just a moment. Time now for another look at today's farm news. Agriculture in the classroom Manitoba is receiving $84,000 from the governments of Canada and Manitoba to develop a Manitoba seed kit. Each kit will feature seed samples from 15 crops commonly grown in the province. Here's Operations and Development Manager Catherine Cherowick. The seed kit will include curriculum-linked lessons for educators that help meet um, all their student-led outcomes. It'll connect young students to agriculture, and then it'll also help increase awareness and build trust in all of these future consumers and customers and decision-makers. Funding for the initiative is provided under the Canadian Agricultural Partnership. And for a few years now, many Canadians have suspected that Stats Canada was either underestimating the food inflation rate or that there was some sort of lag between what was going on at the grocery store versus what was reported. Dr. Sylvain Charlebois is a food professor at Dalhousie University. A lot of collective agreements. A lot of uh, salaries are, are often negotiated based on, on the CPI. If you go to a grocery store, it's costing you way more than what uh, the CPI is suggesting. That's, that's certainly a real problem for a lot of families. I'll be back after this to wrap up today's program. We've come to the end of another Manitoba Farm Journal. I'm your host, Corey Canute. If you have any questions or comments, you can reach us by email, thefarmdesk at goldenwest.ca. Today's closing numbers with more in-depth commentary on what's happening in the markets is coming up at 10 to 2 on the Markets Farm Program. Thanks for listening and have a great afternoon. Hope you can join us back here tomorrow starting at 12 noon.